0: Good morning good afternoon good evening wherever you are my name is Divya Inna and welcome to another episode of Talk Water. For all of us joining us from last month we're happy to note that we've just completed a very successful blue tech forum delegates from water technology firms we had utilities corporate end users research institutions gathered in London in Kew Gardens for two days of insightful discussions regarding the future of the water industry and the future of our planet. Following on from our theme of conferences, we haven't stopped. We've been to two other conferences, both slightly different in nature. We attended the 16th annual IWA Leading Edge Water Technology Conference event in Edinburgh. LET have built a world class event for bringing together leading researchers to share and debate. It's a scientific program with a good blend of academic research and implementation of novel technologies. And separate to this and slightly offbeat, This year we were also invited to attend Life with Water event hosted by Art Hub Copenhagen. And like the LET which brings in people from the scientific community, Life with Water is a unique platform that brings in perspectives from anthropologists, artists, scientists and entrepreneurs. So let's not wait any longer. I've online with me two colleagues, Olga Murtu and Aoife Kelleher. Ladies, thank you for joining me. You know, I think it's so interesting to see the diverse range of water conferences we have available to us. I think this is a reflection of how people view the industry. We've seen examples of where science and cutting edge technology has helped solve problems. But increasingly, we find that the problem is too big for us engineers and scientists to handle alone. There are social, cultural, political, ethical questions, and we need to involve a multitude of professionals in this discussion. One perhaps surprising example is architects. For example, we heard from Michael Paulin at Bluetech Forum and how he's taking inspiration from nature and incorporating biomimicry in water technology, engineering, and design. And I think it's this blend of science and art that we see coming to the fore that will help us imagine and create solutions in the future. So, on that note, Olga, maybe I'll start with you first. Let's chat about LET. I'm ready for some geeky tech talk, so tell me how was it and what you saw and heard and found interesting at the event.
1: Thanks, Davia. The LFT conference this year was really interesting and exciting with lots of inspiring speakers. Um, So, for example, we had uh, Patricia Zamora from FCC Aqualia, and uh, she reported on their microbial desalination project, where they treat wastewater at the same time as producing drinking water from a saline stream by using a microbial desalination cell. So this technology combines a bioelectrochemical system on one side together with electrodynisation and aims to lower the energy of seawater desalination. So
0: I suppose the idea is that the energy produced in oxidizing the organics in the wastewater is harvested and drives the desalination process, thereby reducing the overall energy consumption?
1: Yes, exactly. So if you take for example conventional seawater RO membranes, the energy consumption is usually around three to four kilowatt hours per cube. Mm -hmm. And in this project, the idea is that the energy generated in a fuel cell will offset the energy needed for the downstream RO desalination process. And um, this system essentially lowers the salinity of the seawater to brackish water level, which will then be desalinated using an RO membrane with an energy consumption at the end of only around 0.5 kilowatt hours per cube. And uh, this project has also begun its next phase of upscaling, which will actually be the world's largest micropower desalination plant and uh, they have built a plant for now in spain that will produce drinking water at around 150 liters per day and treat between one to three cubes of wastewater per day as well
0: yeah it's interesting because blue tech recently did a horizon scan on bioelectrochemical systems looking at how the landscape has evolved in the past decade and much has changed i mean we've seen companies leave the scene we've seen companies putting development on hold and so, when we assess the potential for the technology, this is a good example of how the next generation of electrochemical systems are pushing the boundaries of what becomes possible with harnessing the power from bacteria. It's not, of course, all roses. There are downsides, uh, impacts to treatment to when the electrical energy produced is diverted away um, and so on. But. Let's move on. I want to hear what else you saw and heard at the LUT.
1: Well, we also had the honor to hear Michael Flynn from NASA, give us a talk about water management on the International Space Station. Mm-hmm. Uh, simply put, they actually um, they fully embrace the circular economy. Uh, there's no wastewater on the, on the space station because urine, for example, is treated directly uh, to drinking water. They use it together with humidity. And the process consist- consists of uh, vapor compression distillation, multi-filtration baths, and the thermocatalytic reactor. And this is all then finished off uh, with iodine disinfection.
0: OK, so I, that's interesting because if you extrapolate that idea, doing what happens within a space station, but at a, at a larger scale here on Earth, wouldn't it be cool if a, if a single ration of water can be used over and over again for years on end, a bit like they do in the space station?
1: Yes, absolutely. So this complete recycling concept that is done on the space station is interesting for us on Earth as well. And mm-hmm. um, actually, Singapore is a great example here where water reuse has been implemented, treating wastewater through to drinking water quality. Um, there was another um, resource recovery uh, topic which was really interesting. It was presented by Thomas Prot from Wetsas in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. And he was reporting on a different pathway for phosphorus recovery. So we already know about for phosphorus recovery, but there's also another mineral that exists in digested sludge of wastewater treatment plants, which have iron dosing up front. Mm-hmm. And this mineral is called vivianite. It's a hydrated iron phosphate mineral, and it's a paramagnetic. It has paramagnetic properties, so it can be attracted by a magnetic field. <laughs> so, you, so what you're saying is, we all we need is a giant magnet. Yeah, <laughs> basically. Uh, this is actually also what they've used. They've used a, um, a magnet or a specific magnetic separator that um, is also is similar way used in the mining industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a pilot plant of one cube per hour um, where they've tried it. The final results of our were that they had 80% uh, wave recovery from digested sludge and they achieved also um, removal of phosphorus down to 0.4 ppm. Oh, and uh, finally, there was also another very interesting talk on resource recovery, looking at aquaculture feeds. Um, Tom Hillson from the University of Queensland, he introduced us to purple phototrophic bacteria. These are quite robust bacteria. They used to treat wastewater in a um, photo anaerobic bioreactor. And this reactor is a 1,000-liter tank which has uh, submerged acrylic tubes that contain LED lights. Mm-hmm. And um, because these bacteria are phototropic, they grow as a biofilm on the surface of these tubes which have the led lights so they can be scraped off very easily and harvested in and um, these bacteria also uh, simultaneously remove um, cod phosphorus and nitrogen and also what they tested was the use the um, harvested bacteria as supplement for fish feed
0: yeah very interesting and possibly even more interesting if you can replace led lights with sunlight lowering the costs even further so there you go, space station to magic bacteria. We've heard it all at the LET, and, and there's plenty more of where that came from. We'll be publishing our full in-depth key takeaways from the conferences from the conference shortly. Right, moving on to something a little more artistic. IFA, welcome. You attended an event I'm not familiar with at all, actually. Life with water in Copenhagen.
2: Tell me, firstly, what is it? Yeah, of course. So Life with Water Summit in Copenhagen is an event which had the goal of discovering how the arts and sciences can establish transdisciplinary exchange and converges between disciplines surrounding the theme of water. The idea behind creating a transdisciplinary conversation around water stems from the complexities associated with issues and questions relating to the future of water. To accommodate these complexities, we need to involve a multitude of professional disciplines so that we can work together towards a common goal. This goal was to come up with a sustainable, inventive and inspiring vision for our future of life with water. The summit took place over two days and facilitated a meeting of artists, curators, communicators, researchers, thinkers, engineers, scientists, anthropologists and other professionals who work with water. And My next question is going to be who was the most interesting person you met there, but it sounds like
0: everyone will qualify.
2: Yeah, everyone I met there was extremely interesting. But the most interesting person I met has to be Mark Nelson. He was one of the eight original crew members of the Biosphere 2 in 1991. So if you're wondering, he did in fact live in a biosphere for two years.
0: So we're talking about the Biosphere as in the Earth System Science Research Facility in Arizona?
2: Yes, he actually served as the director of Earth and Space Applications for Project until 1994. It was clear when talking to Mark that his two years living in the biosphere have granted him a greater understanding of our ecosystem and ecological networks that we rely on for the availability of oxygen, nutrients and water.
0: That's really cool. I remember there were two missions conducted in the early 1990s in which crews were sealed inside an enclosure to study survivability. Um, And the driving force for these studies was to assess whether humans were capable of building and living in self-sustaining colonies in outer space. So tell me, uh, if you were to summarize what you heard in Copenhagen as, as part of your key takeaways, what would they be?
2: Well, a variety of topics were covered over the two days, but a point that we kept coming back to was that as scientists and engineers, we may be too focused on the linear approach, and often the scientific method also. Sometimes we need to delve into the creative and observe what is happening around us and outside our worlds to mimic nature's solutions. So, for example, Michael Polwyn, who you mentioned earlier, Divya, he's a biomimicry expert. His work combines disciplines like architecture and biology where he mirrors nature's habitats with the goal of transforming architecture and society. And I think we're seeing examples of this. I mean, the
0: Danish company Aquaporin do something very similar.
2: Yeah, Aquaporin have actually invited resident artists to their facilities, which has furthered research and creative approaches to science within their operations. From speaking with Peter, it was evident to hear that we must be open to the interdisciplinary approaches to solving future water challenges, as we certainly cannot engineer our way out of the problems we now face.
0: Excellent. And, and then any, any other te- key takeaways?
2: Another topic we discussed was related to communications in our professions. Communications that the environmental sector have not often been successful. Maybe we must redirect this role from the hands of scientists and engineers and use creative forms of conveying messages to engage the public in our sector. For example, documentary, art, music, theater, and even film. I know the famous Bollywood movie, Toilet, A Love Story, was a very effective method of communicating the difficulties associated with sanitation crises in India. I like where this is all going. I think we could certainly do
0: with creative ways of spreading and sharing the message. And hopefully this first meeting in Copenhagen will be a testing ground for collaboration. And I hope this is indeed what we're trying to do with Brave Blue World documentary. And uh, it's very interesting. Thanks, Eva, for your time. Thanks, Tavia. Moving on to our next segment uh, for this month's episode. I'm, I have online with me Reese Owen, our editor-in-chief. Reese, welcome and thanks for joining us. Um, take us through what Blue Tech have been looking at for this month.
3: Hi, David. Well, we've got an exciting new regular feature in Intelligence Briefing this month. Uh, what we're going to be doing is tracking significant and trend-setting applications of new and existing technologies in projects which uh, we find interesting in the way that they address the challenges of climate change, water scarcity, and pollution. So, rather like our innovation tracker where we track technologies, this is going to look at the projects mm-hmm. that have inspired us this month. So. For example, this month we're looking at the way that the Salesforce headquarters in San Francisco has turned their 61-floor building into a self-contained uh, reuse uh, facility. So it's, it's water reuse within one building. Nice. Um, and we're also looking at Japan's hydrogen superhighway economy, where they are, uh, in a nutshell, taking sludge and converting it uh, for use as hydrogen fuel for cars. So, exciting stuff, and we'll be looking at uh, various places around the world and in different technologies and industries uh, in future issues there. Mm-hmm. And our latest insight report has also uh, been published in the last couple of weeks. Uh, it's on the sanitation economy. Now, this is, again, a little bit different and interesting. Uh, we're looking, as a base fact, at the uh, idea that 24 billion people on the planet do not have access to basic sanitation services. And this is traditionally historically been seen as uh, something that NGOs or governments or charitable related efforts would step in to try and solve. But as we discussed in the reports, it's actually a solid business opportunity, which we estimate being worth between three and four billion dollars annually. Uh, so this is a ideal opportunity for engineering and technology firms. Um, And indeed, companies such as Veolia are already moving in Mm -hmm. to take first mover advantage in some of the contracts that are coming up in places like India. So, an interesting market there. And, uh, yeah, we're also looking at our roundup of Tech's licensing tracker. This is where we follow the progress of technologies from the world's research institutes, which have been licensed. So this has been the route to successful companies such as Ostara, nano 20 and Oxymem. Uh, and we have tracked over 300 licensing opportunities from 40 institutions in 10 countries and constant numbers and you can see a summary of our findings uh, in the briefing this month. Interesting. And then finally uh, we've got uh, an update on the market for anaerobic membrane bioreactor technology or ANMBR. Um, and this is a, a bit of a niche market, but it has seen some interest and growth in uh, industrial wastewater treatment, particularly. Uh, it, it's well suited to food and beverage waste, water treatment, particularly. And it's a market which has seen the entry of uh, Aquabio and Fluence into the market in the last couple of years. So, uh, some interest there. And we'll continue to track those in other markets. And uh, yeah, that's the space.
0: Very interesting. Thanks very much, Reese. And as you said, yeah, quite a lot of uh, sort of offbeat different different sort of perspectives we're looking at for this month the, the section you mentioned at the very start Reese about interesting projects um, that's an interesting piece looking at what's happening within the corporate world whether it's looking at companies like Nestle and L'Oreal and PepsiCo or indeed with utilities um, any interesting case studies that we come across yeah it'll be um, something to keep an eye on and we're going to be tracking that increasingly i mean we're tracking themes broad themes in general whether it's resource recovery circular economy and sort you of know, any any project that fits into those buckets will will certainly report on we'll be conducting a web briefing on the in, the insight report on sanitation economy the date will be released very shortly for our audience listening there just keep an eye out for that date um otherwise yeah it looks like an interesting summer yeah. warm weather's in Ireland and hopefully in the UK also
3: Yes, indeed. Hopefully the sunshine will stay.
0: Excellent. Thanks very much for your time there, Thank you. With that, I'd like to wrap this month's episode. We hope you enjoyed listening to highlights from the Let and RTUB Copenhagen. We'll be back next month with more content. Till then, bring on the sunscreen, ice cream, beach towels and soak up the subtropical climate. Thanks for listening, everyone.